Do you like birds? Do you like knowledge? Well, my friend, you find yourself in the right place. Welcome to Blurbs, a podcast about birds. <clears throat> Hi, I'm Matt, bird enthusiast from New Zealand. Let's get into it. A living representative of a race that coexisted alongside the now extinct giants of New Zealand's avifauna, Moa. Presenting with a mostly dark blue body, topped with an olive green back and pops of red for both its thick bill and stocky legs, I am of course talking about the Takahe, or more correctly, the South Island Takahe, scientific name Porphyrio Hoshtederai, who, just like the Moa, is a giant in its own right, being the largest living member of the rail family, Ralidae. The genus Porphyrio that we heard in the scientific name just a moment ago contains species that are widespread across the world, existing on all continents except Antarctica. A genus is a group of closely related species that share similar attributes, whereas a family is a broader grouping that includes multiple genera, which is the plural for genus. If you've come across a bird called a swamp hen in your local area, then you have most likely seen a member of the Porphyrio genus. In New Zealand, we call our most abundant swamp hen species the Pukeko, so both the Takahe and the Pukeko are in the same genus, but you can think of the Takahe as a beefed up version of the latter. The blue body, red beak and red legs are common traits between the two. However, the South Island Takahe is about three times bulkier. Simply put, they are the chunky buoys of the Porphyrio genus and the wider rail family. Being chunky doesn't lend itself too well to the ability of flight, so not surprisingly, Takahe are flightless, whereas Pukeko can fly. A final notable difference is that Pukeko are highly adaptable when it comes to food and habitat. This is probably why they have become so widespread here in New Zealand, even in the presence of humans and mammalian predators. The Takahe, on the other hand, is a little more particular, particularly when it comes to food. A fussy boy, if you will. We'll get to this a little later on, but first, we need to add another member of the Porphyrio genus to the mix who is relevant to our story today. The Takahe. And no, I'm not showing my age with poor memory here. I'm talking about a different Takahe. The North Island Takahe. From here on out, I'll be referring to the North Island Takahe by the alternative Māori name of Moho. And we'll keep using the term Takahe for the star of today's show, our extant South Island friend. Did you pick up on that? Extant? I gave the definition for this in episode 1 of the podcast as meaning still alive. And so, reading between the lines, we can come to the unfortunate conclusion that in contrast, the moho is sadly extinct. Moho remains were first identified in 1846 when Walter Mantell obtained a bone collection from South Taranaki in the North Island of New Zealand. 
Side note, Walter's father, Gideon Mantell, was the first to identify dinosaur fossils. Pretty cool. The last report of a moho was in 1894. They were likely taller, but more slender than the Takahe. Moho, Takahe, and Pukeko all shared a common ancestor a few million years ago, and recent DNA evidence suggests that they are each derived from separate arrivals of related ancestors who were blown over to New Zealand on strong winds. These direct ancestors were not likely to have been the exact same species, however. For instance, even North versus South Island Pukeko in New Zealand today are thought to have come from different members of the Porphyrio genus, hailing from Australia and Polynesia, respectively. This blown-on-the-winds method of arrival is thought to have occurred first for the Takahe, around 2.5 million years ago, then for the Moho, 1 to 1.5 million years ago, and finally, for the Pukeko, between 7 to 800 years ago. There are also records of Pukeko being brought over with the very first Māori settlers, so this may also have been a method for their introduction. To sum it up, members in the genus Porphyrio have likely made their way to New Zealand on multiple different occasions, and in doing so, have developed into the similar-looking but distinct species that we have had and continue to have today. For the remainder of the episode, we are going to be focusing exclusively on the Takahe. The tale of its rediscovery is one that is legendary in New Zealand's history. Let's have a brief rundown of the timeline that led to this, all taking place in Fiordland, located in the southwest corner of the South Island of New Zealand. In 1849, sealers in the Dusky Sounds tracked and caught the first live takahe known to modern humans. Three more would later be found within the century, in 1851, 1878 and 1898, respectively. It would then be a whopping 50 years, during which time the Takahe was presumed extinct, before it was rediscovered by a small team led by Invercargill doctor Geoffrey Orbill. Orbill had collected information on potential sightings, identifying that they were mostly on beaches below the bushline during winters that had particularly heavy snow. He therefore had the inkling that a small Takahe population may exist higher up in the mountains, and that they were occasionally forced down to lower altitudes by heavy snow conditions. An initial expedition in April 1948 up the Murchison Mountains yielded no Takahe, however three large bird footprints were seen, and an unrecognised call of two long, deep notes was heard. A second expedition in November of the same year was the clincher. After a three and a half hour hike, in a clearing where bird droppings were seen and where snow tussock appeared to have been pulled out at regular intervals, Orbel finally laid eyes on a living, breathing takahe for the first time in half a century. The group were able to photograph and film two takahe, and this epic rediscovery was all complete by 9.30am. Now that's what I call efficient. The population at this time has been estimated as being between 250 and 500 birds. Fossil records indicate that Takahe were once widespread across the South Island from sea level up, 
so the discovery of the last population in a subalpine habitat was likely a result of need rather than preference. The Murchison Mountains were the last stronghold for Takahe due to its isolation from humans and mammalian predators. Now I said I'd come back to the diet of the Takahe, and yes, Takahe generally only eats specific types of plants, but here's what I really wanted to touch on. Takahe primarily feed on tussock grass. Cue the crickets. That on its own is a pretty boring fact, right? But it's the next bit that I find particularly fascinating. Takahe taste test the tillers of the tussocks. (laughs) That's a tongue twister. (laughs) Say that ten times fast. The tillers are the individual stems. So they taste test these tillers, right? And they favour the ones with a higher nutritional value. They will actually stop eating a certain plant if its nutrient levels aren't up to scratch. More so, even for the plants that end up becoming dinner, a takahe will never eat more than 10% of the available tillers, and they pull the tillers out in such a way that it promotes more rapid regrowth for the plant. These latter behaviours ensure that their primary food source is sustainable. In contrast, deer, which have a diet that overlaps and thus competes with takahe, eat the tussock in such a way that stunts regrowth. This reminds me of plucking versus shaving when we're talking about human hair regrowth. I can never seem to remember which way it's supposed to go, but I know one way is said to cause the hair to grow back faster than the other. Takahe have developed behaviour that helps them to optimally coexist alongside the food source that sustains them. Isn't evolution amazing? There are many more intricacies to the diet of the Takahe, and this in no means is meant to be a comprehensive description. The purpose of my podcast is to share the things that I find fascinating about birds in the hopes that you'll find them fascinating as well. If you're wanting to see a Takahe, you won't have to hike up a mountain like Jeffrey Orbull and his team. There has been intensive effort over many decades to keep the Takahe lineage alive, and as part of this, they have been introduced to protected offshore islands and also the mainland equivalent, dubbed mainland islands, which are fenced, predator-controlled areas. These would be the easiest places to see them. Territory Matangi Island in Auckland's Hauraki Gulf is a prime location where they can be found as they often congregate near the visitor's centre. My girlfriend and I were able to see them while on a trip there, and it was, chef's kiss, amazing. The ups and downs of the Takahe recovery effort have been presented in Alison Balance's book, Takahe, Bird of Dreams. And although winning, the numbers unfortunately are not drastically higher than when the species was rediscovered, today sitting between 400 and 500 birds. If you haven't already, I hope you have the chance to see a Takahe one day, and may the recovery efforts for this population of chunky rails go from strength to strength from this point on. Thank you as always for listening. I've loved creating this episode and learning alongside you. If you'd like to follow me on Instagram, you'll find me at matt.rossella, that's M-A-T-T dot R-O-S-S-E-L-L-A. 
And if you get value out of these episodes and want to help me get future content out quicker, then please consider becoming a Blurb Bro on Patreon. Psst, you could become the first one. You'll find this at patreon.com forward slash blurbs 439. The link is in the show notes. I'll see you next time. Dee 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 dee, blurbs.